The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Good morning, church. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to be here. And, and seriously, I, I don't take it lightly to be up here. Um, I'm, I'm truly honored to be up here. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to be up here because I believe that God has such an amazing word that's just going to bless someone here today and that's going to change the trajectory of someone's life this morning. Amen. All right. They've started my timer while I was introducing. Okay. Well, go with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to read verses 12 to 20 in the New King James Version. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read 12 to 20 in the New King James Version. Okay, so it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So saying, so also is the body of Christ. Verse 13, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And so that baptism that the, uh, the scripture is talking about is that baptism that comes with salvation when we are born again. So when we are born again, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. It says whether we're Jews or whether we're Greeks, whether we're slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so what we begin to see here in 1 Corinthians 12 is we begin to see Paul painting a really cool analogy. And what Paul is saying is in the same way that the human body, our physical bodies, have many parts and many members, many different functions, each of those parts and those members are equally important in the proper health or the proper functioning of our bodies. And so he equates it and he says, likewise, in the body of Christ, in other words, in the church, we know that the body of Christ is, is the church. He's saying, likewise, in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, we also have many members. We also have many functions, many people with different callings, many other people with different assignments. And each of those giftings, each of those callings are all important in the proper functioning of the whole body. Okay. So Paul goes on and he says, he starts to say something that's quite interesting in verse 15. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? He goes on and he says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And Paul says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body we're hearing, where would be the smelling? Then Paul says, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members. Someone say many members. Yet one body. Amen. How many of you know that God knows what he's doing? 
God knows what he's doing and God does not make mistakes at all. God gave each and every single one of us a gift or gifts. God has given each and every single one of us a purpose, a calling. And then he has divinely placed us in the body of Christ with our giftings, with our callings. Why? For the proper functioning of the whole body. Each of us, church, is important in this body. Each of us is important in the proper functioning of the whole body. And so if you are small, if you are tall, if you are a banker, if you're an engineer, if you're a doctor, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you've got brown skin, if you've got yellow skin, if you've got peach skin, my daughter says, if you've got peach skin, if you've got peach skin, this is who God created you to be. God does not make mistakes, church. In fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says we are God's workmanship. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Think about it. The God himself, the greatest artisan of all times, the creator of this universe, this really awesome universe, well, this same God, he personally, he purposefully, and he intentionally made each and every single one of us. I love what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says in the New Living Translation. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, in the art world, they say one of the distinguishing features of a masterpiece is that it is unique and that it is an original. And so not only has God made each and every single one of us with a very specific purpose and a calling, but he has made us to be unique And he has made each and every single one of us to be an original. I like to say that each and every single one of us is uniquely called. We are uniquely called of God to live a supernatural life of significance. There is no one else, church, hear me now. There is no one else alive who can do what you have been called to do. There is no one else alive. Who is exactly like you. You were created on purpose. You were created on purpose for a very specific purpose. And so what the Bible is painting in 1 Corinthians 12 is really just painting a picture of the age-old problem of comparison. The age-old problem of comparison. People wanting to function in a different place that God has not placed them. People wanting to be someone else that God has not created them to be. And we read verse 16. It it seems quite funny, right? But it's really an analogy of what's happening in the body of Christ. Verse 16 says the ear, the ear wants to be an eye. The foot, the foot wants to be a hand. (laughs) This is just a metaphor of comparison. And I love verse 17. Verse 17 actually says something quite profound. It says, if the whole body were an eye. Where would the hearing be? He says, imagine if the whole body were one big giant ear. And I can see you all trying to imagine me as an ear. It's a little bit creepy. But it says, if the whole body were an ear. Well, where, how would we smell? I mean, this is quite funny, but this is what's happening to the church. We can actually equate it back to the church, right? If everyone was called to do the same thing. So if everyone was called to be a pastor, 
How would the church be effective in the great commission, which is teaching and preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth? I suppose there'd be no one to teach. Huh, anyway, but how would the church be effective? And if everyone was called to be a banker, well, who would build the buildings to put the money in? Right? God has given each and every single one of us a gift and a calling and a specific assignment. And he's placed us in the body of Christ so that we can use that gifting. We can walk in that calling so that the body of Christ, the church, can function properly. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the trap of comparison. This morning, I want to talk to you about the trap of comparison. Because living a life of comparison, it's a trap, man. It's a trap that will ensnare us to base our worth and our value on what others have and what others are. And you know what? This limits God. Psalm 78 verse 41, it says, Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Do you know we can limit God? And one of the greatest limits to what God can do in our lives, in and through us, is when we begin to compare ourselves to one another. In fact, I'll go further and say, one of the primary hindrances from us walking in the abundant life that God has for us, one of the primary hindrances from, that are preventing us from walking in absolute confidence in the function, in the gifting that God has given us, is when we begin to compare ourselves with one another. And so this morning, I just want to share with you some lessons that I've learned in my own life about the dangers of the trap of comparison. Amen. And I want to share with you some of the tools that I've learned and have implemented in my life. And hear me now. I'm not saying that I have arrived because I have in, by no means arrived. Even this week, as I was preparing a message on comparison, the greatest irony of it all, I was bombarded with all manner of limiting thoughts of comparison. I mean, I'm actually going to share with you. I might as well throw myself under the bus. PT isn't here. So I'll, share, I'll throw myself under the bus. I mean, I was bombarded with thoughts um, that said something like this. You know, I'm not as funny as PT. I, I hope the church will laugh, at least. <laughs> I mean, I started thinking, you know what? Two, three weeks ago, we had the most amazing speakers. We had Billy Epperhart. I mean, come on. We had Ashley Terridas, and we had Pastor Tafara, who preached without notes. How can I compare? <laughs> and so, yes, I had to use my own tools on my own self. So I have not arrived by any means, but I can tell you that I've most certainly left. Amen. Amen. And so this morning, I, 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 my, my greatest prayer this morning is that you will take these lessons. You will begin to apply some of these tools in your own life. And as you do, church you will begin to break free from that trap of comparison. You'll begin to see victory over all of those circumstances, all of those limiting thoughts that have been holding you back. Amen. Hallelujah. Right. Well, every single day, we actually have a chance to compare. Well, we actually have a, an opportunity to compare ourselves. I mean, if it's not social media... You know, we say Instagram, hashtag InstaLive, Facebook, Twitter. I, I hear there's a new one called Snapchat. Listen, you're going to have to tell me about Snapchat because they say I'm, apparently I'm too old for Snapchat. But there's Snapchat. There's all manners of, of platforms, of, 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 of mediums that, that give us this opportunity to start comparing our lives to the lives 
that someone else is living. Now, how many of you guys know that we don't post our worst pictures on Instagram? I mean, I'm not going to tell you that the picture I posted yesterday of my kids in the swimming pool, it took 20 takes to get the hashtag InstaLife picture. It took 20 takes for them to smile, mommy, and get the InstaLife picture. And even if we're not on social media, because I know some of you are not on social media, every single day we have an opportunity to compare ourselves. We just need to step out of the house and look at our neighbor and look at what they have. And we don't have it. And we find ourselves falling into this trap of comparison. You know, this trap is real. The comparison trap is real. Even the disciples who accomplished so much from, for God and for the kingdom of God, even they found themselves falling into this trap. I want to share with you quickly a story in John 21. And we're going to read John 21 verses 18 to 21 in the New King James Version. John 21, 18 to 21 in the, in the New King James Version. <clears throat> and so now the context here is after Jesus had, um, had, had died, he'd been resurrected, and he was about to go to heaven. Jesus and Peter, we see in this scripture, having a conversation. And they're actually having a conversation about how Peter's going to die. So let, let's hear what, what Jesus is saying. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger... You girded yourself, and you walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he said to him, in other words, he said to Peter, follow me. And so what's happening here is Jesus is beginning to tell Peter about his death. Jesus is beginning to say to Peter, you're going to live until you're old. But when you're old, you're going to be crucified, dude. You're going to be crucified. And so let's hear what Peter had to say or what Peter did next in verse 20. Verse 20, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also had leaned on his breast at, on, on, on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord... Who is the one who betrays you? First, well, let me, let me give you context there, right? So Peter turned around, and the disciple that he saw was actually John. Remember, John always used to like to call himself, refer to himself in the third person. And John always used to like to tell people that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Okay, so Peter turns around, and he sees John. Verse 21. Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? So I want you to picture this because sometimes the King James Version, you've actually, and this is how I read the scripture. I really try and, you know, 21st century it, right? So what had just happened here is Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. He tells Peter, you know what, dude, you're going to die and you're going to be crucified. And so immediately when Peter hears this, he turns around and he turns to John, the disciple who Jesus loves, and he immediately turns back to Jesus. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is what about this man? What about this man? His first thought was one of comparison. He's saying to Jesus, well, what's your plan for this man's life? And maybe he was trying to draw some comfort in knowing that if he was going to suffer for Jesus, if he was going to suffer and be crucified, John should too. <laughs> what about this man? 
I just love how Jesus responds. Because the way Jesus responds, I believe, is the way that we need to respond when we find ourselves comparing each other to each other. When we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. Verse 22. Jesus says to him, Jesus says to Peter, Well, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? Jesus is saying, why why on earth are you even bringing him up? Stop comparing yourself. Don't worry about what I'm calling John to do. It's none of your business. Pastor T says it's none of your business. It's none of your business. You follow me. What is that to you, church? What is that to you? Comparison is a trap. Living a life of constantly comparing yourself to one another is a trap. And here's the thing. The more we compare ourselves the more we need to compare ourselves to each other in order to get some form of validation, some form of acceptance, some form of value, or even some form of joy. And so this morning, I want to talk to you quickly then about some dangers about comparison. What are some of the dangers of this comparison trap? Number one, if you're taking down notes, comparison produces inferiority or superiority. Comparison produces inferiority or superiority. And neither of these church honors God. Neither of these two is useful to do what God has called you to do. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 in the King James Version. It says, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves among themselves, are not wise. And that word wise is the Greek word sophos. And it's really got about three meanings. It means to be specifically enlightened, to be sharp, or to be bright. And so this verse can actually be interpreted as follows, right? So it can say, it can, it can, well, this is my translation. Comparing yourselves among yourselves is not the wisest thing to do. It's most certainly not the sharpest thing to do. And it's definitely not the brightest thing to do. And why is that? Because when we compare ourselves to one another, only one of two outcomes is guaranteed. The first one is that you will um, find yourself to be superior. In other words, you'll actually start to look down on other people. And I gave an example this morning. You, you may start to find yourself saying, well, I have, a, I have a flu, but I am so much better than my neighbor because my neighbor is a hospital. Sure. <laughs> Comparison is not wise. Looking down on people is not wise. And I think specifically in this example where none of these situations are actually brilliant anyway, but you can find yourself tolerating a situation just because you perceive yourself better off than your neighbor, or you perceive yourself better than someone else. The other outcome is you may find yourself feeling inferior. I think this is a common one, right? Where you feel like you just don't measure up. You're just not enough. You're just not able. You can't do it. Bo, 
both of these outcomes, don't be deceived. They are not useful and they will result in you living a life that is far below, far, far below God's very best for your life. You know, they say comparison is the number one reason for insecurity. And as I was researching this topic, as I was just preparing my message, I came across an article on Google, which I found quite interesting. I thought I'd share with you. So so in Dr. Google, it said that about 90% of models suffer from insecurity. And I remember thinking, of all the people alive on this good earth, how can beautiful women who earn a living making money based on their looks be insecure? I mean, surely of all the people in this world, surely models should be the ones who have the greatest reason to love themselves. And then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, the reason why they are actually so plagued by insecurity is is probably because they are constantly finding themselves being put in an environment where they're having to compare themselves among other people. And this is true of us. When we are constantly finding ourselves in an environment where we are either being compared to others or where we ourselves are comparing ourselves to other people, it's going to wear you down. It's going to beat you up. You're going to feel like you're the dust of the earth, the slime of the earth, the worm of the earth. (laughs) And I said this in the morning, and I really feel I've got to say it again in this service. If you're single, single ladies, single men, I want to tell you some really good news here. Your value is not determined by what you look like in the mirror. Your value is not determined by what you look like in the mirror. God loves you despite it all. And God's opinion of you is awesome. And God's opinion of you is the only opinion that should matter. So if somebody does not like you, if someone does not appreciate your vivaciousness, your curves, your hair, your eyes, your mouth, your lips, guess what? Lose them. L-O-S, lose them. Kick them to the curb. Amen. (laughs) Puma. (laughs) You are fearfully and you're wonderfully made. You are carefully put together. Don't let anyone compare you to someone else. And you most certainly should not be comparing yourself to anyone else. Amen. Thought I'd throw that one in for free. The other danger of comparison is that it keeps us mistrusting of God and offended at God. It keeps us mistrusting of God and actually quite offended at God. I mean, why can't I sing like Boosie and Shirley? Why can't I sing like them? Why can't I teach like Pastor T, Lord? Why did you make my eyes so big? Her eyes are small and cute and little and nice. Why don't I have a house? A big house like my neighbor. I don't even have a house. I mean, Lord, why? <laughs> Comparison is an attitude that's saying, God hasn't given me enough. Wow. It's actually an attitude that's saying, God is better to others than he is to me. It's an attitude that's saying, God loves others more than he loves me. It's an attitude saying that God is holding out on me and I deserve more. Me, me, me. And if you think God has shortchanged you, it's very easy to become offended at him. It's very easy to mistrust him. And offense and mistrust will become established in your heart. So um, comparison, or at least one of the dangers of the trap of comparison, is that it keeps us mistrusting of God 
and he keeps us offended at him. The third danger of this trap of comparison is that it causes us to be resentful and to reject others who have what we want. It causes us to be resentful and to reject others who have what we want. And as a result, we'll never achieve what we want. Go with me quickly to 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to read verses 5 to 9 in the message translation. I love the message. I love the drama in the message translation. So we'll read it in the message translation. 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 to 9 in the message translation. So it says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it, and he did it well. So well that Saul put David in charge of his military operations. And everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home, so as they returned home from, remember they'd um, uh, just won a victory in the previous chapter, even over Goliath. But as they returned home, after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, the women poured out of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with trembolines, festive songs and lutes. The Bible says, in playful frolic, the women were frolicking. In playful frolic, the woman sang, and this is what they sang. Saul kills by the ten thousand, by the thousand. Where's Boosie? Boosie, can you sing with me? <laughs> I'm joking. But the woman sang, and they said, Saul kills by the thousand. David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry. Very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, they created David with 10,000? They created David with 10,000? And me with only thousands? The Bible says Saul became angry. Very angry. And this is what comparison will do to you. Comparison will steal your joy. In fact, they say comparison is the thief of joy. Because of all the people on that day, of all the people alive at that time that should have been full of joy, it should have been Saul. And I'll tell you why. He should have been full of joy for two reasons. Number one, do you know that if it hadn't been for Saul, that that giant might not actually have died. So Saul actually played a very, very important role in David fighting Goliath. And everyone looked at me like, huh? He didn't fight Goliath. But let's think about it this way, right? Saul and his wisdom as king, he actually allowed David to go on that battlefield to fight someone who was probably like 10 times bigger than him. And this was despite his own family doubting him or hating on him. Hashtag hate. <laughs> King Saul actually let David go and fight that giant. And guess what? David won. And because of David, or at least because of Saul's good judgment, this beast of a giant was no longer terrorizing them. So Saul should have been full of joy that day. And also number two, Saul had just recruited the employee of the century. Amen. How many of you are business owners? Yeah. How many of you, being business owners, would like to have an employee that you give something to do and they do it? Yeah. But not only do they do it, they do it well. Yeah. Well, this was David, the employee of the century. Not only did he do what Saul did, uh, told him to do, but he did it very well. Amen. So Saul had a really, really, really sweet deal here. But instead of celebrating this, instead of rejoicing at this, because of comparison, he lost his joy. He became angry, very angry. 
and he became resentful of David. He carries on by saying, or at least the scripture carries on by saying, before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. From that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Now that word eye is really the Hebrew word avan, A-V-A-N. And all it means is it means to watch with jealousy. So from that moment on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And we know what happened because we know from that very day on, not only did Saul's power, but also his influence over over the nation of Israel, it rapidly deteriorated. Saul stopped the flow of God by focusing on what someone else was accomplishing. And there's a really awesome lesson here. If we want to manifest the abundant life in our life, we need to learn how to celebrate others instead of keeping an envious or jealous eye of comparison on them. Because here's the truth. Every time you resent or you reject someone for having what you want, you subconsciously program your mind to reject that goal. And you'll never achieve it. I think I need to repeat that again. Every time you resent, every time you reject someone else for having what you want, you subconsciously program your mind to reject that very thing for manifesting in your life. And you will never achieve that goal. And so the last danger of comparison is that it will cause you to be resentful. And it will cause you to reject others who have what you want. And as a result, you'll never achieve what you want. So how do we overcome this trap? How do we break free from this trap of comparison? What are some of the tools that we can implement in our lives to really start walking free from this trap? The first one is to thank God for who he has made you to be. Thank God for who he has made you to be. You know, the rejection of who you are in Christ is the number one reason why we compare ourselves to others. And I don't think I'm special. I'm not capable. I don't measure up. And the reality is this. When you find your security, when you find your value, when you find your identity in things like your car, in things like your job, in things like your talents, in things like your ministry even, in things like your church actually, instead of finding your security, your value, and an identity in God, it will always end up in you yielding to this trap of comparison. Because the reality is this, there will always be someone who's better looking than you. There will always be someone who can do that job better than you. There will always be someone who has a better car than you. There will always be someone who's higher up in the food chain in the corporate ladder. There will always be someone who has a better business than you. And the flip side, there will always be someone who's less good looking than you. There will always be someone who's less capable than you. There will always be someone whose business is doing even worse than you. It's a trap. Psalm 139 verse 14 in the New King James Version. Psalm 139, sorry, 139 verse 14 in the New King James Version. It says, I will praise you. I will praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows well. The psalmist says, I will praise you. 
Why? Because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. And then he ends this off by saying, my soul, my soul knows that well. Do you know that the problem with comparison is that most people's soul does not know it well that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so every time I find myself stepping or falling into this trap of comparison and and those limiting thoughts come to me saying, I'm not good enough, I can't teach like Pastor T, I can't drive like my mom, whatever they are, but I throw that one in for free. Every time those limiting thoughts start coming to my mind, what what I do is I go to the word of God and I start making sure that my soul knows it well, that I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made, amen, that I am a masterpiece, God's finest work of art, that I am uniquely called, that I have a destiny without rival, that I am not a mistake. God purposely, he intentionally, and he personally created me, and that I am uniquely called to do what only I can do. And then I begin to praise God. So you must see me have some of my praise sessions in my bedroom. I begin to praise God and I begin to thank God for who he has called me to be. I begin to thank God for who he has made me to be. And I begin to thank God for where I am. Because how many of you know that you can never go to the next season in your life despising where you are? You can never go to the next season in your life despising where you are right now. And so you need to faithfully steward the season of life that you're in right now. And I begin to thank God for where I am right now. And I begin to thank God for what I have right now. And you know what, church? Sometimes I need to do this over and over and over and over and over again. But I have purposed in my heart that I am not going to let the trap of comparison hinder me from achieving everything that he has called me to do. I have purposed in my heart that I am not going to let the trap of comparison prevent me from living my life to the fullest. Amen. And so we need to start thanking God for who he has made us to be. Number two, we need to start trusting God with our needs. This one's quite a big one. Start trusting God with your needs. You know, God is an abundant God. And I, I, God is infinitely bigger than what we can even imagine. What we can even think he is bigger still. God is a God of abundance and he is an abundant God. And not only can God bless you, but he can bless everyone else. While he's in the process. And so we need to transition. And I liked how Billy said it so nicely about two, three weeks ago um, during our Grace in the Marketplace conference. And if you, if you missed the teachings, they're all available on podcast. And also all the teachings are available on Faithful Church YouTube channel. So if you missed the teachings, I highly recommend that you go and listen to them. But Billy Epperhart said something to us very interesting about two weeks ago. He said that we need to start moving from a position of believing God for things to trusting God. And so we need to move to trusting that God can get us where he needs us to go, that God can get us where we are supposed to be. We need to start trusting that God can open up the doors that need to be opened and get this regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, 
God can get us where we need to go regardless of our nationality and regardless of our looks. And so we need to trust God. We need to start trusting God with our needs. And the third one as I close, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and run our own race. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and run our own race. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 in the King James Version. It says, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There is a divinely appointed race. There is a divinely appointed assignment for each and every single one of us that God has set before each and every single one of us. And the good news, church, is that there is a grace for only that race. I say there is a grace for only that race. And so the writer of Hebrews says that we need to run that race, that divinely ordained race that is set before us with patience. And then he goes on in verse 2. Maybe the question you want to ask is, how do I do this? He answers this in verse 2. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And what keeping our eyes on Jesus simply means is is keeping Jesus before us as an example. What keeping our eyes on Jesus simply means is looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus and keeping Jesus the focus of everything that we do. And so in Hebrews, we are told that we must keep our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, not on others, Not on other people's giftings, not on other people's callings, not on other people's assignments, not on other people's ministries, not on other people's churches, not on other people's businesses, not on what other people look like, not on how others are running their own race, but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to run our own race walking in our own assignment that God has divinely ordained for us, knowing that with the call of God comes the grace of God for your race. And so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and run our own race because there is a grace for our race. I want to say that again. There is a grace for your own race. And so if you do not run your own race, you will not be able to tap into that grace. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Running our own race. Because there's a grace for our race. Amen. Why don't we all stand on our feet? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Running our own race. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands up to the Lord and close our eyes. And I just want everyone to repeat this after me. Today, I am moving out of the comparison trap. 
and I am stepping into the grace that God has for me. Father, I turn in my heart from my eyes being on others from my eyes being on how others are running their own race and I turn my eyes onto Jesus today I step into the grace to follow Jesus with all of my heart regardless of what others do and what others have and this morning I receive the grace that will help me to run my own race hallelujah father we thank you we thank you for your word right now I just speak grace I speak grace I speak peace to walk in obedience and to follow Jesus. Father, right now, I thank you that we are not here by accident. We are not a mistake, that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. Father, I thank you that I am your masterpiece. We are masterpieces created by you, the greatest artisan of all times. And Father, this morning, I just thank you for our giftings. I thank you for our specific callings and I thank you for our assignment. And Father, even this morning, I want to pray for those who don't quite know what their assignment is. Father, this morning, I pray and I ask that you may reveal it to them. You may reveal it to them from today what it is that you created them to be and what you created them to do. Their giftings, their specific race that they are supposed to run. And Father, I thank you that as this has been revealed to them, Father, you will give them the grace to run their own race. And so, Father, we just say thank you. We thank you that we are uniquely called, that there is no one else that can do what we have been called to do. And so we just submit ourselves to your perfect will for our lives. Help us every day to become the person that you have created us to be. Help us every day to stop looking to others, wanting what others have. I mean, it's okay to be inspired by others. But from today, we make a decision that we will not keep a jealous, we will not keep an envious eye on others, but we will thank you for who we are. We will thank you for what we have. And we will thank you for where we are. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace. I speak your grace right now. I speak your grace right now to everyone under the sound of my voice. I speak a grace right now, a specific grace right now to run their race, to finish their course, keeping their eyes on Jesus, keeping their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, we thank you. We thank you here this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for our race. We thank you for our giftings. And we thank you for our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. I believe someone has been freed from this trap this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv. 
today.